Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. Each week, we'll be joined by guests from the industry to discuss the most pressing topics of the day. I'm David Thorpe, reporter at FT Advisor and financial advisor. Joining me today are Ian Rees, multi-asset portfolio manager at Premier, and Minesh Patel, advisor at EA Financial Solutions in London. Welcome to you both and thank you for joining me. Good morning. Alternative investments have grown in popularity since the financial crisis, probably as a result of low bond yields and record equity markets. But is the popularity just the result of the unique market conditions that we have today, or is there something more behind it? Manesh, how do you view alternatives and their role in in client portfolios? Alternatives have an important function because they are low, have low correlation with traditional assets, stocks and bonds. Yeah. Also, where equity markets have been relatively flat-ish over the past few years, they provide some form of return because they're not directly linked to those assets. Also, I find in the search for income, which Ian and I spoke about, um, it provides some certainty because some of these alternative investments have fixed return Fixed, fixed returns, which is a useful income provider for clients. Do you view them as suitable really only for the, the higher risk uh, client portfolios or or can they work across all of your book? Yeah, as, as an advisor, I've got to be careful because ultimately we've got PI issues if things start to go wrong. So m- my view is alternatives sit well with the wealthier investor who's got some s- significant capacity for loss. I really would be... F- a bit uncomfortable recommending alternatives outside of a, a structure, a multi-asset structure, to clients with a low capacity for loss. Thank you. Ian, as somebody who runs multi-asset structures, just as Manesh has described, um, what sort of exposure do, do the various funds at Premier have to um, alternative investments? Uh, yes, we utilise uh, regulated uh, alternatives and they could either be in a, an open-ended form with a compliance of usage rules or a closed-ended fund, which obviously applies to both FCA and LSE uh, regulations as well. So uh, the way we access alternatives is through funds. Um, we think uh, alternatives can be used in a variety of different ways and we, we utilise them depending on the objectives of our mandate. So, for instance, in our growth mandates, uh, as Manesh has talked about, I think you can use alternatives to complement your your growth positions if you believe in the alternatives providing a positive return. And they can add diversification into that portfolio as well by virtue of not being so correlated to growth equities. And similarly, uh, we see a lot of um, alternatives, particularly listed alternatives that have come to London in, in, in the last 10 years or so, where there's a good um, level of reliable income from them. And so those types of alternatives not only provide diversification, but also a good source of income and income diversification for our multi-asset income funds. Thank you. I guess alternatives can be divided into into two camps, as as Ina sort of alluded to. You can have the sort of volatility managed or or hedge fund type strategies, or you can have um, alternative income, as it's often called, which which can cover everything from uh, doctor surgeries to aircraft leasing, with those things being in investment 
trust products quite often. Yeah. Um, Minesh, do you uh, have uh, exposure to both of those types of alternatives? I use discretionary fund managers and discretionary fund managers, I'm very well aware, are utilising alternative inf- investments such as aircraft leasing. It's quite a common theme now. Global infrastructure, that's become that's become an in- in- a theme that's very evident. Student student letting and student... Uh, but, but also, it's important to add that the alternative investment space is not just regulated in the in the perception of the client, in perception of clients. I have wealthier clients who look for non-regulated alternatives, which I present a difficulty because they're not regulated. They're prone to scams. So it's, it's, it's an area that we we approach with some the, caution. The much fabled Cape Verde property. Yeah, and, and an interesting barometer is the way that institutional investors. Uh, allocate to alternatives and institutional investors allocate on a basis of a, a maximum of sort of about 10% from what I see of large institutional pension funds etc because of the relationships that we described earlier the the, the the requirement for income particularly for pension fund liabilities uh, if it's a growth mandate you know then it, there needs to be a different vehicle Thank you Ian to, to what extent is the, the growth in those alternative income type products like like aircraft leasing, to what extent has that been driven simply by bond yields being low and therefore would we expect the performance of those types of trusts to deteriorate pretty starkly if bond yields rise? I think that's a very pertinent question given where bond yields are at this point. I think it's quite a nuanced answer in all honesty. Alternative income products have been around now for 13 years. Hickle Infrastructure uh, launched back in 2006 as HSBC Infrastructure and um, yeah, next month marks our 13th anniversary of when we first invested. I think it's people can use them for either replacements of bonds Absolutely, um, where you know you actually have a contractual uh, revenue stream which offers that reliable income, but also I think you look at the total return and the reliability and stability of that return, and it's actually outperformed equity markets over that over that time as well. So I think there's a good case for looking at the total return aspect of these types of vehicles and saying, well, actually, do they make sense uh, fundamentally? Uh, in a portfolio, even a growth-orientated portfolio. Well, something such as aircraft leasing or, or student property, I mean, they're, they're almost like debt instruments, really, aren't they? They're, I'd pay cash now for a regular coupon in, into the future, Yeah, which implies that the spread over gilts or, or treasuries is, is really relevant in that case? I, I think it comes back to the fundamental drivers of each alternative because when it comes to things like student accommodation uh, and, the, and the yields and return you're getting there, that's driven more by the education industry in the UK and the supply and demand of students. And I don't necessarily think that's too sensitive to, to bond yields. I think you have other assets such as uh, the infrastructure for sure that they offer a very big attraction uh, given their yield pickup relative to gilts. That said, you know their their overall valuate the valuation of those assets has quite a large margin built in um, that really accommodates any rise we see in the gilt yield. You know, given the yields they're offering now, there hasn't been too much compression in the yields of those vehicles. All the time, gilt yields have been falling which means there's a good cushion still built in for gilt yields to back up. Thank you. Manesh, you, you mentioned the 
less regulated, if, if we should call it that, area of alternatives. As an advisor, do, do you get clients coming to you saying, should I be in this? Can you put me in this? This sounds amazing. Does that does that happen? Is is part of your job actually moving people away from some of these things? What we get is what I would define as sophisticated investors who are in the company of other sophisticated investors who find these non-regulated alternatives which provide fixed returns. An example would be second charge loans, which is, again, a debt instrument, which provide a fixed rate of interest or coupon, as you defined it. Um, we don't advise on it. You know, we, we make it clear that if that's an, a, a line of investing they wish are going to pursue, it's their own responsibility, which some do. You know, you, you've, you have to bear in mind with sophisticated wealth investors, they want you to do the majority of the work but they want to have a bit of fun as well. And, and actually, they want to prove that they're a bit better than you at times. You know, <laughs> no, it's a, good it's, it's a good compliment. We can't advise on it, but ultimately it's their money and they can decide to pursue that, that, those fixed, fixed return instruments if they, if they feel they're appropriate. Sure, thank you. Do, I mean, do you feel that there are any assets out there that are truly uncorrelated from equities and bonds i mean or does ultimately everything come back to is everything priced off a bond ultimately is everything going to be compared to what the FTSE does or what the S&P does no i, I don't agree with that I, I, I think that there are uncorrelated assets like real estate for example real real estate although correlated with interest rates that is supply and demand driven and, you know there are REITs available that provide i mean i was doing research before the before this and, and you know, there's a there's a there's a REIT available which has paid six point three two percent per annum over the last three years. So it's a fairly so that it's reducing the correlation between traditional assets and the alternatives. My role is to ensure that it's done in a well managed function. Yeah, and I want to ensure that if liquidity is required, those alternatives are liquid liquid, and that's why I feel that through a fund like Ian's fund uh, or a multi-asset fund is probably the appropriate way for advisors to approach the alternative alternative investment area. If you could, I mean... So, so you wouldn't put clients into those REITs yourself? You'd no. have the multi-asset fund and let that manager decide whether to do that REIT? It's quite specialist. It's, it's quite specialist that requires research. It requires a, a lot of due diligence. You know, advisors of my scale don't have the resource to do that extensive research on a section of a client's portfolio, which might be relatively small relative to the overall assets. You know, there's a time um, uh, adjustment that you've got to make. Thank you. I think the most um, uncorrelated, seemingly uncorrelated uh, investment that I've heard of recently in a multi-asset fund is song lyrics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know they buy they buy the back book yeah. of uh, of I think the most recent was they bought the back book of Dave Stewart, and uh, you just you get all of the royalties forever and ever. Yeah, I suppose that is uncorrelated. But uh, Ian, do you in in terms of your portfolio, I suppose your diversification is what you're you're aiming for. How do you view that? Everybody would claim every single fund that <laughs> wants you to buy their assets would claim that you that they are uncorrelated from something else. Yeah. How do you actually break that down? I, I think you need to 
get understand and feel comfortable with the fundamental drivers of what generates the return from the alternative asset. I think you also need to be aware that even if you access those genuine alternative assets through a fund such as a listed fund on the London market, you are effectively then buying a share of that fund and there will be residual correlation of that to general market sentiment. But ultimately what you're trying to access is a return stream which isn't just another iteration of a bond or equity. And I think the the uh, hypnosis songs fund is, it, it, as you point out, is exactly that. Other song funds may be available. <laughs> that was not a recommendation from me. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> over the over the last uh, thirteen years since since Hickle launched, um, you know, we, we at Premier have uh, supported and helped launch over two dozen uh, listed alternative funds that have come to the London market. You mean you've bought in at IPO level? Yeah, you? absolutely. Where, as Minesh says, you have to undertake quite a, a, a large amount of research and due diligence to understand what the managers uh, are trying to achieve, who the managers are, and their credibility in that space. Uh, and ultimately, what you're going to gain from from this particular alternative fund. Thank you. If, Manesh, if student property and aircraft leasing funds are very much in vogue right now, another type of alternative fund that was in vogue until very recently was uh, targeted return or total return funds, absolute return funds. Yeah. Lots of cash went into that. I think the largest fund in the UK retail market was was an absolute return fund at one time. They've fallen somewhat from favour if, if the flows data is anything to go by. Do you have exposure to those? Do you see a place for absolute return funds? The, the promise they make often is to deliver a positive return in all market conditions. I have utilised absolute return funds and I would, as an advisor, def- define them as an extremely disappointing area. Extremely disappointing. Relative to cost, their returns are negligible relative to cost. They're very profitable for the fund management group, but deliver very little it to, to the investor. I personally now am of, of the view I'd rather have my clients take the volatility or the up and down movements of their investments rather than have a risk-adjusted or, or a volatility-controlled investment that returns very little. I would suggest that the fund management industry should modernise and, and and reduce the cost of that area. I mean, you know, it's ridiculous. I mean, like, well, some of the absolute return funds are charging 0. 0.6, 0. 0.8, 0. 0.9 or above for returns on a three-year adjusted cycle, if you look at back back-testing, Two percent, one point eight percent. I'm like, what is the rationale? And we, as advisors, are being constrained on cost all the time. So I would rather say it's a great, great profitable vehicle, great marketing ploy, as many vehicles are. But in practice, they haven't delivered what they intended to deliver, and that I think is disappointing. But it's a good lesson to learn. Thank you. Ian, do you see see a, a role for those in, in multi-asset portfolios? I mean, the argument that the absolute return managers would make is we we had basically 10 years of very little volatility, uh, so that wasn't their time to shine. So, of course, the performance was like that, and that their time to shine comes later. W- what do you think of that argument and of those types of funds? I think 
those types of absolute return funds are really, you know, we, we think of them more as being alternative strategies. So they are using uh, bond and equity markets to take views and then try and make a return from that. In essence, I think we, we find them too complicated, uh, even for us to understand, because there's so many moving parts going on there. Is that a function of they've, because they were popular, they got a lot of assets and they became very big and they had to just find more and more things to invest in so they went further and further out the complication curve? Although... I, I, th- I think it's just the nature that when they're trying to achieve an, an absolute return, they're trying to deliver that by offering diversification in the strategies they're employing and that in itself just creates the complexity. Um, we do like absolute return funds but we like the ones with a much simpler and narrower focus, such as, say, a a market neutral fund uh, on the UK market, for instance, or a market neutral fund in European equities, where there's a real specialism the manager has, and they they can really hone that into delivering a more understandable uh, absolute return rather than uh, something which is overly complicated and and you're not sure how, how it will perform at any one time. Thank you. But you do have some of them in different portfolios. Again, is it along the lines of what, what, what aim they're trying to achieve in each of your funds? So would there be more of those types of things in your growth mandates than your income mandates? Um, we, we use them in, in a few different mandates. And the types of absolute return funds we're using would be more of the market neutral funds or the absolute return bond funds. And here, what we're using them for is actually a way of reducing our overall beta to markets. You know, we, we would hope that, uh, and we, we, we generally get a sense that the managers we're selecting uh, are delivering a good alpha or good return generation on both the long and the short selection of the books, which is largely independent of market movements. And for us, you know, it enables us to say, well, actually, given where valuations are, the amount of insurance assets available now uh, to us has shrunk quite considerably given where gilt yields are. So we can actually own some of these absolute return vehicles as instruments which offer the prospect of a positive return, but do so with much less correlation to markets. So that's how we utilise them, certainly within our growth mandates as a, as a way of controlling our overall beta. And in our, we, we run an absolute return fund, a, a multi-asset absolute return fund, where we try and offer the, these types of um, selections as a, as a portfolio solution to, to be diversification to people who are requiring something which is less correlated to bonds and equities, where we're seeing greater correlation between those two traditional asset classes. Thank you. And Ian, Manesh, thank you both for joining me. Tune in next week for the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.